What's good, everybody? Today, I'll be bringing you yet another episode of the Convex Visions podcast. But this one will be relatively different from the others because in it, I'll be discussing 50 Cent's most recent book, Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter. And I'm an avid reader. This is just me being proactive in the sense of compartmentalizing my brand to establish a book club where I can openly discuss the principles, the lessons, and just all the ideas that are culminated from the books that we read. And I definitely believe that this is an opportunity to have intriguing open discussion. And ultimately, the knowledge from these transcribed books will be uh, materialized in a sense, I think. Um, it's a good way to have it stick. And this could potentially compel people to apply what they've uh, read in these uh, intriguing books. So definitely this is uh, a start of something special, I would say. Real quick to give a little rundown on the episode, I'm going to take some ideas or some expressions or some principles that 50 Cent transcribed in his book, Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter. And I'm going to expound on those notions or those ideas. And basically, I'm just going to do it to uh, evoke further dialogue from you guys who may be listening. first thing that I wanted to highlight from 50's book was the sections that he had on body language. Based on my prior knowledge, I come to understand that body language invites intrapersonal communication as well as interpersonal communication. And the example that he gave was with executives, how they always respond to nonverbal cues, whether that's sitting up in a chair, nodding, the raising of eyebrows, or doing something that communicates, yes, important person, I'm receiving your information. <laughs> uh, a lot of times we give them the confidence to look down on us as if they are superior and we're inferior. We subconsciously give them that affirmation. But 50 states how we can snatch that confidence from those type of executives by responding to their verbiage with a stone face and not laughing. Maintain eye contact to show that you're listening, but don't offer any nonverbal feedback beyond that. The person that is speaking will become fixated on you. You are then going to uh, own prime real estate in that person's head, leading them to question what it is that you know. Are they smarter than you? And why aren't you impressed by their sentiments? This could conjure up some indecisiveness, compelling them to relinquish the control they believe to have. Another idea 50 brought to my attention was that when things are moving fast, people are constantly put into new environments. They tend to revert back to their old habits because it brings them comfort. He talked about Lloyd Banks and Tony Ayo, how they refused to adapt to a new mission that would have propelled them in their careers. He mentioned that those guys were stuck in their ways and that they got left in whatever time period that they clinged on to. Lloyd Banks wouldn't conform to social media. And for Tony Yayo, he couldn't relinquish the state life. This brings me to the idea of the writing on the wall. 
The writing on the wall represents a king that defied God. Daniel, a prophet, was led to interpret it. It's an omen or a sign that something will fail or no longer exist. Today, we use it to describe a moment where it should be obvious that a situation is about to take a turn for the worst. In business, 50 mentioned that the writing on the wall for BlackBerry was when Apple came out. Or for Blockbuster, uh, when Netflix launched. He also went on to say that it's tough to identify when a change of momentum for your business is happening because the writing isn't actually on the wall. If it was, you would know when to shift up your business plan. You may not be able to read the writing on the wall, but you'll be able to read the energy that surrounds you. I thought that was dope. Moving on, fake it until you make it, which is crafting a narrative. Making others believe that you've accomplished more than you actually have. The idea that even if your circumstances are at a disadvantage or you lack experience, as long as you project the confidence and the energy of someone who is successful, it's only a matter of time before true success comes and finds you. He went on to say that we should suppress the instinct of making somebody aware that you need something. It's a turnoff for the vast majority. Most people are attracted to the things that they think they can't have. For example, Bernie Madoff, involved in a huge Ponzi scheme, was a, a very well-known scam artist. He finessed his victims by acting like he didn't need them. His victims were huge millionaires who were a bit egomaniacal. So as they were rejected, they were compelled to come back with even greater proposals of offering more money, playing right into Madoff's hands. He ripped clients of millions, sometimes tens of millions, and it all stemmed from him acting like he didn't need his victim's money. This next principle was a bit peculiar to me, but I kind of saw his angle, uh, and that was appreciate the greatness in others. His appreciation of others encouraged him to compete on his part. He's well aware that the vast majority thinks that competing with people that are better in some ways is hating. But to him, competing is not hating. It's actually putting appreciation in action. People always respond to the competitor, he said. There is always going to be an audience for someone who isn't afraid to mix it up with their rivals. But on the reverse side of beneficial competition is inconsequential competition. And this kind of goes along with saying that if your shine comes from other people's sun, what happens when they move? And this reminded uh, him of parasitic organisms that lives off a larger host. As long as they're attached to their host, they're okay. But as soon as they lose their host or they move away, they die. Second to the last principle that stood out to me was keep a book. This was probably one of the more intriguing ones to me. Uh, I've wore a Lacoste shirt before, but I never really understood the history behind it. And it was founded by a French tennis player named Jean Lacoste, who nicknamed was the Crocodile because of his tenacious efforts on the court. Lacoste was really getting served by his opponents early on until he started constructing books on the strengths and weaknesses and vulnerabilities of his opponents. With this combination of knowledge on his opponents and his tenacious efforts, he pivoted from being a doormat to someone who won 24 championships 
including Wimbledon and the French Open. Keeping a record of your opponent's strengths and weaknesses. So you long to put that knowledge to work. Books and scouting reports are ubiquitous in the sports realm. But people rarely put that tactic to work in life beyond sports. It works just the same in other situations like marketing, fashion, etc. 50 applied it to himself and how he's the beneficiary of scouting reports outside of sports. When someone does something that's smart, he makes a mental note of it and tries to apply it in his moves. When someone does something stupid, he makes a mental note on it as well, and he looks for a way to leverage that vulnerability against them in the future. He removes the emotion from it all, which doesn't allow him to get jealous when someone prevails and don't get excited when someone falls off. And last but not least, determination from failure transform you into a potent entrepreneur. Many people dream of success. To me, success can only be achieved through repeated failure and introspection. In fact, success represents 1%, the other 99% of failed attempts. This concludes this episode of my podcast, where I dissect 50 Cent's newest book, Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter. Thank you.